Welcome to this latest edition of the Real Deal Podcast, The Wire Remix, Season 3, Episode 10, Reformation. Uh, as always, I'm joined by one, Robert Sapp. How you doing, Mr. Sapp? Oh, doing pretty well, doing pretty well. Hope everybody's doing really well out there. Stay healthy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely stay safe out there. Uh, this episode was directed by Christine Moore. It ranked all-time by Vulture, 20th all-time by Vulture. And of course, the epigraph, uh, call, it, call, it a, uh, call it a crisis of leadership by one proposition. Itself. So, of course, we are headed towards the end of season three. And if things are, you know, Things are, uh, of course, moving, uh, moving, moving quicker to say the speak, and they're kind of ramping up towards the season, towards the season finale. Uh, some of the themes I had, I had one theme. I had closing in. So we have the open, opening scene. You see two of Marlo's uh, soldiers have been killed by, of course, the Barksdales. So uh, Fruit comes over, recognizes one of the guys, one of the dudes that was a dealer. That was a little mid-level dealer. Nobody, nobody made it up. In the a mid-level dealer. <clears throat> and you have also at the same time, you have you see, you see brother you see uh, of course little Charles tell Avon the good news. And then we see the co-op, co-op losing people on their corners because uh, because of this uh because of this Barksdale stands for the war, the cops are on more corners than ever. And you have seen people from the east side co-op. Uh, start to lose people as far as get arrested and unnecessary attention on their operation as they become as they are of course a victim victims to the this Marksdale uh, stands for a war. You see Justin, Justin, the young Justin who of course fat and I believe have no has no business in the drug game. You see him, you see him run into Snoop. Uh, you see him run into Snoop as another as another Marlowe standstill uh, soldier got dropped. And you see our friend Arthur Muzol arrive uh, from New York. And as he looks over, he sees where the towers used to be. And he uses and he says the phrase reform. He says, reform Lamar, reform. And starts laughing as he, as he looks over where the towers used to be. Uh, a lot going on. This was a a lot going on in this opening scene. What were your thoughts? Yeah, um, bu- buckle up, basically. I love this episode. Um, I have all the words for this episode. I didn't want to text you just because I was just like, I, I don't even want to, I, I don't, I don't want to give them the heads up on, on, on this because I do. I, I want to talk about this episode. It's so good. So the uh, first thing is, um, uh, uh, I just, I, really so i'm gonna have to zoom back for a second even before i can get into this thing so you already know it's going to be one <laughs> so i have to zoom I have to zoom back and so um the so i just felt a tremendous amount of gratitude um to you real for giving me the opportunity to be able to talk about this on a on a weekly basis and i say that because um when I got to the end of this episode, I was just like, I literally said out loud, and there's nobody around. I just said out loud to myself, that was a really good episode. Um, and you know me, like I, I watch the stuff I like, I watch over and over and over and over again. So 
this is, you know, I've, I've, I've done rewatches of the entire five seasons of The Wire at least five times before this. So I've, I've watched the seasons five times before. Um, but and when I said it out loud to myself, I was reflecting on it. I was like, this is, it's good, but it's good in a different way than I had previously said it was good. And so the reason I'm grateful is because I get an opportunity to watch the show from a different perspective and to watch the show, not because I am enjoying the wire and just want to put something in that I like, but to watch the show with a critical eye. Um, I really like doing stuff like that. So I appreciate um, this opportunity to do that. Um, so that's number one. Number two is um, uh, the word reform is for real introduced. Like it is, it is said out loud and it's said by a very powerful and prominent character. And so we know that word has all the weight in the, in the world. Um, not only for uh, the, not only for the characters in the show, but for, and you've done a really good job of this, bringing in like what was going on in the world at that point in time. And honestly, what's going on in the world right now? Like we're actually in a, we're actually now in a space that applies to the wire even more so than when the wire is being written. Like everything that they're saying is like right on point for like what, what we're living and going through. On, on a daily basis, and so reform is a big is a big part of is a big part of it. And reform is actually like the like that's been the theme for the show, and so now they're actually stamping and naming it. So you best believe this episode is all about how the reforms are going. Those who represented reform as as avatars, our characters that represent reform. Now we're going to get a sense, get a chance to see how their reforms are going. And then lastly. To your point, like, I think the thing that impressed me the most, the other part of that wow, was just like, I was just like, so much happened in this episode in such a very, very specific way. And it's only the ninth episode of a, th of a 12th episode uh, the tenth. season. Tenth. Um, no, it's a 10th. This one's 10? Yeah, yeah, this was 10. Yeah, this was 10. Season three's 10? Yeah. Reformation okay. was 10, yeah. Yep. Yep. Okay. Anyway, um, yeah. Sorry. Ten ep ten tenth episode in the twelve in the twelve episodes. He's got. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Yes. So. Um, so. Uh, uh, yes. So so much happened here. I'm like, we're here. Like we are. We are. Every all the chickens. To your point, what you were saying earlier. I'll use my own little phrase. Um, all the chickens have come home to roost in this episode. But then you're like, wow, there's still two more episodes to go. Um, yeah, so pretty incredible. And that's just the opening. Yeah, so, <laughs> so we go to uh, the detail with Nochi. Nochi, uh, they are complaining. Um, they are still trying to find ways or to get up, to get quick, to get up on these burdens quicker. So you hear McNulty complaining about about you know where what the, you know how the case should be going, what what should be being doing, what should be uh, done, and of course um, Daniels of course checks him at the end of, at the end of the scene, basically saying, "In your you know you know by your measure we're all pieces of shit." Once they start talking about judge, uh, when they start talking about judge failing, 
Um, so, you know, Minolte, of course, you know, says point taken and uh, we begin to see how the detail is going about, uh, again, um, trying to get, trying to get up on these burners, uh, trying to get up on these burners as they, you know, try to flush out their plan for that. Uh, what were your thoughts on this, on this exchange? Yeah, um, you know, the burner plan, like there, I'll get to that when another scene comes up. Um, uh, so, so I'll say that, um, the most important part of that, that, uh, that conversation was the Minolte part where he goes, I know, or he's like, fair, like, that's what we were talking about. See, this is, this is, this is why, <laughs> this is why show, this is why television show, like all this stuff could be such a powerful, like motivator and just like, just what like things that people want to see it's because of stuff like this and we talked about mcnulty's growth last episode we pointed out every part where it was like a key like another another light bulb going off of you need to reflect you need to reflect you need to reflect on your behavior you need to reflect on your behavior and it was like there were so many of them that it was just like this has to be put here intentionally and then we get to this episode and all of that intentionality that the writers were putting in pays off. And it doesn't have to be a big, long speech or anything like that. Just McNulty, from everything that we've known from him from the start of season one up until this point, him just saying fair was everything. It was everything. Yeah, I uh, was talking, uh, again, they're they giving, you, giving you more than enough in a few breadcrumbs on what direction McNulty's character is going in, going into. Plus, we're at the point of the season in general where you they're not only trying to wrap up the season with these last couple of episodes, you're going to start to see things that they will show mm -hmm. season four. So, they're, they're, yes, they're you are one hundred percent correct. Sorry, I'm, what makes the what makes the wire sorry 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 I had to jump in. Just okay. what makes the wire special is they start doing that way before. Yeah, average shows. Regular shows do what you just said. The Wire doesn't do that. They've been building this in damn near since day one. Not necessarily the Minolte stuff, because I think they did take a hard shift on the Minolte character that we talked, like we talked about in season two. But the Wire, the, the Wire goes above and beyond that every single time. They they're building stuff in right now that won't play out to the end of season five. Right. Right. Like. Yeah. Yeah, there is there. Yeah, yeah, it's ridiculous. Sorry, that's so all you, I wanted to say. Yeah. <laughs> so you, um, you have uh, Perlman, Perlman, Daniels, and Phelan. Um, of course, Perlman uh, has has known Phelan for a long time. He's flirting with her during uh, this conversation. They're trying to, of course, convince him. Um, they're trying to convince him to get these prepaid to get uh, to get these prepaid burners tapped. Before they're sold, before they're actually sold to the dealers. So at first, uh, Palin at the beginning is reluctant, but um, he's reluctant. But he continues to uh, flirt with Perlman. He ends up giving them some. He, he doesn't give them everything they want, but gives them most of what they uh, of what they want. Uh, what were your thoughts on this scene? Set up. We go to Carver and Colvin. So Colvin. And I like how they I like how they led, led up to this, this scene because this has been building to uh, 
the seniors have been building throughout the whole show, of course, course of the season with Colvin and Carver. Uh, Colvin goes to Carver and just basically tells him, like, you're just not a good police officer. And he basically says, you, you do everything but actual police work. As far as knowing, as far as people out there knowing, as far as you getting the information from people out there on the street, he says, he says, if you if you out there, if you out there banging heads on everybody, it gets to a point where nobody likes you and you're not getting any information. And he says it, he says it in a way that is respectful. He says it in a way that he's also trying to teach as much as he's trying to criticize. And uh, just the look and brilliant job by Seth Gillum, just look on on, on Carver's face was priceless over the, uh, of this particular scene. What are your thoughts on this exchange? All the thoughts, all the thoughts. Um, this is why this episode is special. And I can see how, I can see how it might get misinterpreted. I mean, it got very high, it's high on, uh, anyway. This is why this episode is special. It's for a scene like this. Um, and the reason why I love this episode so much is because they, all the cards were on the table in terms of like laid out, but they were all face down up until this episode. This is the turning the cards over and showing specifically what you have. And this is what they're saying. The, the great thing about this scene is that it's not only a scene between Carver and, um, and Colvin, um, but more importantly, it's a scene between the show and the audience. Everything that Colvin is saying, he is saying to the audience. This is their message on policing. This is what the wire, this is where we stand and this is what we believe policing to be. And what he's effectively saying is that we have become militarized. I think we've heard that very recently, correct? Um, We have become militarized And the only way in which to reverse that is to go back to how it used to be where, and this is the the argument, militarized versus person to person taking care of living in, being surrounded by the neighborhood that you police, walking that beat. Um, And so uh, it, I've said top five scenes a few times, and I stand by the, those were top five scenes. I would say top five scene to this, but I think I'm going to switch up the category a little bit and be like, there's top five fantastic scenes, and we're going to have an all-timer coming up very soon. So that, that, that will be like, when we get there, that'll be like a top two scene, right? Like the, the very best of best, like a scene in a television show or in a movie. This is a scene that means more than a television show or a movie or just being a good scene. This is, this is a mission statement scene. And I think a couple of the other ones I identified are more, fall more into that category where they're more mission statement than just like the best scene on the planet. So that's how I'll kind of like cut it up a little bit as we move into the, the rest of the season. But this is a, a very important scene because it not only sets up what's going on in the dynamic, but it also, it also gives us a viewpoint of McNulty's future and a viewpoint of Carver's future. 
everything that Bunny Colvin is saying in there is very important to anybody, any character who is a police officer. It's it's why I mean I mean I I just pointed out too, but it's why Herc is where Herc happens. Dang, everybody, everybody, it is all summed up in this scene right here. Well, that's why I mean, it's such a, well, it's, that's it's, why it's such an important scene. You know, so to your this is uh, to your point, and again, it's a it's a, a, a spectacular scene. You, you notice um, it's not a coincidence that you had McNulty and Carver in back to back scenes. It's not a coincidence because besides the the reformers that we've seen throughout the course of this episode, and we will, this is a heavy reformer. This is heavy reformer episode um, from you know our, from the three perspectives. Of, uh, of, of those three uh, particular reformers, but you see Carver and McNulty go back to back because they they are in essence this season going through their own sort of uh, reform, uh, personal reformation. Yes, yes. Yep. You see, we see, we saw, we see, we saw McNulty holding himself accountable with with some with some help, of course. Uh, with this, you know, earlier in this episode, and then now we're seeing it with Carver. Now we we've seen it with Carver. Carver is starting, of course, even going back to last season, uh, where those breadcrumbs were being laid about his, about you know, the changing, uh, changing his character and how that was being developed. So, I think, uh, I think when they, you know, when they title the episode "Reform," they're they're going all in with like you're gonna know what it looks like. From different aspects, different viewpoints, and, and, and different come from different places. So we go to um, we go to the reporter, the reporter in Amsterdam. So a reporter, reporter. Of course, we saw uh, her in the previous episode call a report, called him some Baltimore Sun Times. The reporter makes her his way down to Amsterdam. He um, uh, he uh, talks. He sees her. He sees Herc. Uh, Herc, you know, Herc talks to the reporter about Ham. Talk. Uh, Herc talks to the reporter about Amsterdam, and then the reporter, of course, the reporter looks, you know, just completely befuddled about what he what he is witnessing, what he is seeing. Uh, quick scene, but what are your uh, thoughts about this scene? I mean, it's definitely set up, but just something you said at the very end is. Um, when you said is he's horrified by what he's seeing, what he's seeing is horrifying. It's horrifying, yes. and that's that's the point. It's it's horrifying in all of its all of its way. It's horrifying whether it's all condensed in one area. It's horrifying whether it's spread all around. What they're the what this what this episode is specifically thinking about and talking about and working out is people's perception and how that plays into everything, and then whose perception matters. Versus who doesn't matter, right? Average citizen could come and step in there and go, oh, this is horrible. Nobody cares. A reporter goes in and says, oh, this is horrible. A lot of people start caring. And then you go to your bosses say, this is hard. You say that people start caring. And so it's not only, yes, this is horrible. Everybody can agree on that. But it's also who is seeing it and who what, whose perspective it is and does that person matter? Yes. And does it, is it okay? This is essentially what the show's been asking us from day one. 
Are you okay, human beings who live on the planet Earth? This is a show, but this show is about real life. So you human beings living on this Earth, are you okay with certain people making decisions based off of their own interpretations of your reality? Are you okay with that? That's what the show is asking us. And that's what that thing meant. Yeah, quick, uh, quick scene, and um, so the so the reporter finally has a feel of what, uh, of, you know, somewhat a feel of what is going on in, in terms of what he's watching. We go to Cuddy and the Deacon. They discuss the gym. Uh, Cuddy has all the equipment set up, but he has no nobody, no boxes, and you know that's what basically the Deacon tells him. Says, "Hey, all you need is some. All you need is some kids." Um, definitely a setup scene. Any uh, any thoughts? Uh, yeah, I mean, yes. So, um, uh, the, so the, the last, there's two competing, sorry, there's two competing thoughts. One I had, I just want to wrap up on the last thing that I said, because I, what you were saying at the very end of it is what really sparked it. And it's just that, um, with, with Bunny Colvin, um, the he is what he what what we are experiencing as the audience is we've been given just thinking strictly as characters strictly as a tv show now we've been given just bunny colvin's experience and his rationale and one of my favorite sayings and it particular i use it all the time but it particularly applies to television i think this is where it's rooted um television movies is um everybody's the hero in their own story. And the way that I interpret that is, um, or the way I have interpreted that is in our heads, like in, in Robert's head, in Surreal's head, when we do an action, we know all the rationale behind it. But the observer, so if I'm doing something and it's just you and you see me, all you can judge me on is my actions. So, the viewers, yeah, we have all the rationale for Bunny Colvin. The characters don't have any of that rationale. All they see is they walk in and they see police standing and drugs being freely sold. So it just it, that popped into my mind. That was the last off the last thing. And then in this scene, uh, remind me what the scene is again. <laughs> I really focused on that last thing. No, this is uh, what we talk about. What was the scene? Cutting the deacon. Yeah, 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 yeah. Deacon Angel on shoulder, like that is the that's the but like he represents that. It, there's just there, it's just too clear. There it is it is flat out. That's what he represents. He's the angel on people's shoulder. It's up to the person to decide if they're going to listen to the angel. But he's the angel on people's shoulder in in this season. And so, um, you know, and this is what I mean. And this is what I say. Like in watching this again, now I can see it. This. Everything that's happening with Cuddy is setting us up for the season to come. And so the interplay, all, now I'm watching all the interplay with Cuddy and, and the, um, the Deacon as creating the moral um, uh, foundation that he can stand on in order to bring those kids in. That's it. So we go to uh, the go to the, uh, to the detail. They are listening to uh, Bodie 
having a call between Bodhi and his grandmother. They also able to decode that Bodhi, of course, is talking about drugs. Um, they play a uh, earlier they play an earlier recording from a couple of years ago with Bodhi for some confirmation and um, for some confirmation. So you see them uh, digging into the uh, Barksdale's, you know, with these uh, in terms of these wireless phones. Um, what are your thoughts on this scene? The most, wait, T tell me specifically when the scene you're talking about ends, because I don't want to leap into, I have a lot to say. We're not, not right. at the point where they're talking about the plan yet uh, for not, how no, they're no, going no. to, okay, no, no, no. set up, set up then, set up, set up, set up. So we go to, everything oh. is setting up, anything wireless is setting up to that scene. So we go, yeah. we go to Colvin, the reporter. Colvin lies to the reporter um, and convinces him to hold to uh, hold the story off, uh, hold off on the story for at least a week. Um, of course, Colvin tells the reporter that this is, you know, you know, we're going basically we're going to jump out on this. You know, it gives him this is a tactical, or this is you know this is for tactics and um, you know just kind of like to, just convinces the reporter enough to give him. A little bit of time um, to put before he makes his next next move on Amsterdam. Uh, what were your thoughts on this? Yeah, set up. This is this is literally a story beat. This is a story beat. They need to move the action along to get um, Colvin to reveal to his supervisor. They need downtown to finally find out about this. So this is literally just to move that along. So we have Brother Muzon, who's in town, uh, as we know, meet up with meet up with Vincent, who uh, was the advisor to uh, one Marlo. Uh, he's, of course, Muzon is looking for Omar. Uh, Vincent, of course, says he knows he knows who, who Omar is, um, and basically tells you know gives him the land, the, the, you know Omar's, you know who he runs with, you know, and the fact that Omar basically is, you know, basically runs on his own and, you know, he's not connected, not connected to anybody from that standpoint. Uh, what were your thoughts on, on this scene? Set up. We see Carcetti with Teresa DiGastino, DiGastino and a couple of, of, of Tommy's old uh, college friends talking about the camp, they're talking about the upcoming race and, Teresa tells um, tells Tommy that they're mapping out their strategy. Yeah, they're mapping out their strategy, and they're telling Tommy that Tony Gray has to get into to the race to take away votes from uh, uh, take away votes from Roy. So she she puts that out there and says that's the only way that's the only way you're going to win. Of course, he's feeling bad because Tony is uh, his friend or his closest friend on the council. Uh, what were your thoughts on this city? He's full of shit. No, he's not feeling bad. He's not, but he needs to. It's part of it's part of developing that political be liked by all persona. I think that's the underlaying of it. Um, my first read on it was um, my first read on it meaning twenty four meaning and me today. Um, both reads initially were um, he he is he's full of shit. He's just he's just he's just full of crap. Um, and then I, I think I'll add the under the component underneath that of that he um, is is constantly toying with that political persona. And in that political persona, you always have to be viewed as, especially before 
the last four years, you always had to be viewed in a positive light. That's what that's what you wanted to lean into all the time. Um, and, you know, you do all your dirt behind the doors, but in public, in front of people, you put on a happy face, you put on a smile. Um, and so uh, and so I, I think there's also he's playing around with that with them, but he's not being honest. He does not feel bad at all. Yeah, I mean, it was almost like he's trying, in a way, what, trying to convince himself that he should feel bad? No, 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 no. He doesn't feel bad at all. There's he's, no he's, part of him that feels bad. No and we know this because me and you have laid out point by point over the entire season how he's been manipulating Tony. It's just, it's again, it's that thing of, I know why I'm doing it, but when I say it out loud, how do other people perceive it? And so if you're somebody who doesn't give a care about what other people perceive, you don't have these types of thoughts. But if your job is to make other people care about you and care about the different things, like that's how you actually get your power is that people have to like you enough to vote for you, then you have to perfect and hone that BS, which is why we all generally, um, you know what, let me stop. <laughs> Before I start talking about putting other <laughs> people in it. So we go to- I'll speak for myself. That's how we, that's why I think politicians more often than not are less than honest. Let me put it like that. How about that? Got you. No, no. Uh, Most of the time. So you, uh, we have, um, we go to the detail. They, again, they're, they're uh, still staying on, on Bodie's phone and they were able to decode the the one of his uh, phone calls dealing, you know, with him uh, talking about drugs. Um, then you hear Dan, then Daniels approaches the, uh, the unit, asking, we're talking about prayers and asking questions, these survey questions about prayers. Do you think he harbored any racial bias or things of that nature? So, which they, which they kind of took personally as far as, you know, you know, not believing that, you know, that prayers is any type of uh, racism, what have you. So you see the unit, you know, defend him from that standpoint. But of course, Daniels, you know, Daniels being the the boss has has to, you know, that's part of his is doing his job as far as uh, asking them those questions in regards to that situation. So, uh, what are your thoughts on those two exchanges? Yeah, I don't know if they're coming to his defense, but I think they're just acknowledging the reality of that of that character's disposition. The person, I mean, of course, Freeman was going to say, Freeman kind of took him under his wing um, and Daniels is his direct supervisor. So they feel responsible for him. So I was the most interested in listening to what Cheryl, right? That's her name, right? Who are you talking about? What's the lady's name? The character. What's her character's name? The lady. To, uh, his uh, Who listens to the phone. No, 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 no. We're talking about, um, we're talking about the... The unit now. Oh, Caroline. oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So Caroline. 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 I don't know where. Oh, Cheryl. I know where I got Cheryl from. <laughs> I was like, where's Cheryl come from? Um, <laughs> so Caroline um, is uh, is. I was I was really interested in like her comments because she doesn't know press like that. Um, she doesn't feel responsible for him in any way. And so her comments were kind of like the most honest ones in that scene for those characters at least to me, um, or it was the North Star for that scene where she's like, eh, he had some stuff going on, but I didn't really get a racial vibe. And I'll agree with that as the character was presented to us. 
The character that was presented to us didn't give off that vibe. That does not mean he's not racist at all. Like not even a little bit, but he did not present himself at work or on the scenes that, that, that we see, you know, like he didn't present himself as that. But again, the question, which is so important and which is why I said they had the actor call himself out on it was not, this is not if Prez was racist or not. It's about how white people police black communities, period. And so that, that, so when Prez, when Prez kind of like says, you know, I'm not even sure. Maybe I did. Who knows what's going through your mind right there? That is the show, the character, everybody acknowledging that this is present, even though people can't put their finger on it. And it's hard. It's complicated. As we've seen many, 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 many times, people have a very hard time putting their finger on why is it that police shoot black men? Um, so this was the wire early on trying to deal, deal with that, wrestle with that question. So we go to Omar and Butchie. Um, of course, Omar is, at, you know, at, you know, as he wants to bark, we know how bad he wants to bark sales. Tells Butchie that he's willing, he's paying cash to get knowledge on any whereabouts uh, or information about the bark sales. Oh, and Butchie, of course, tells him he doesn't have to pay and gives him the, uh, and tells him where the bark sales are, you know, our main headquarters are at. Of course, what is that the, the funeral home? And of course, uh, Omar is not happy that Butchie held out this particular piece of information. A uh, couple of things. So we have been tracking that whole Butchie, Prop Joe, Stringer Bell dynamic. Uh, even Omar, in regards to even going back to last, back to the end of season two. Anything? Did you see any? You know anything to kind of you know bring that up again, or what were your thoughts on this scene? Wait, say again, that last part? I said, was there anything, have you seen anything that would say that they were in? No. Oh, okay. No. Uh, what, were no, your no, thoughts, no. what were your thoughts on this scene? I, my honest thought, real, is I think the show dropped it. That's my honest thought. Like, if I'm being 100% real, because it was so present in last season, and it's not present at all this season. So I think... Maybe that was a thought or that felt like the energy that was happening there. But when they got to season three, I think their plates were full and they didn't have time to mess around with a back plot. So I think this is, I think this season actually pointed out to be straightforward. And I kind of knew that was going to happen when I was bringing that up. But I want to be honest in the way in which we're viewing these, these episodes. And so I went just with the information that they're giving me, that they were giving me the energy that they were giving in the, in the scene. I, this will be, this will be a little bit of a jump ahead, but this is the perfect kind of like example of it. Just like when we get to the bar scene and we see Lieutenant Rawls, right? Like that could be like me being here. Oh, spoiler alert, blah, blah, blah. Like not even a, but it never goes anywhere ever, ever, ever. I've, we've wondered about that for years. I've wondered about that for years. And it just, it's something they dropped. And this happens. It happens. It does. This happens. Great shows have average shows, horrible shows. It just happens. It just happens. And so, and so, no, I haven't seen, I haven't seen anything on it. It's straight. It's pretty straightforward. It's so straightforward. It's straight. It's so straightforward in, in this, in this season. And the reason why is because, um, of the inter the reason why things have chilled out on other ends is because 
the interplay between Stringer and Avon. Their personal dynamic got so uh, freaking interesting. <laughs> I guess that's the best way to put it. It got so interesting. So I think I think a lot of resources went that way. And deservedly so. I'm not complaining at all. Yeah, so we see, uh, again, Butchie be the, you know, the mentor. And, you know, basically he tells Omar he basically was protecting him from himself. Yeah. Now, but yeah. now, which he was. Um, but uh, now Omar's at a point to where he's willing to basically go and give, go in basically kamikaze mode in regards to where he's at with the Barksdales. Um, what are your, just your thoughts on uh, their, their dynamic as far as, you know, the conversation that took place? Yeah, I think you're, no, I think you're exactly right. This is what, like, it's not, it's not like, it's not a negative, again, that the show went in this direction. I have no problems with it. And I could come up, I could have come up with, like, character stuff and, like, different everything, like, but sometimes a spade is a spade. Sometimes the show just changed. It just went a different direction. So the thing that you're saying right now is absolutely correct. Butch is his mentor, period, bottom line, end of story. It's his mentor. So we go to uh, we go to Stringer. Uh, he sees that they have new muscle, and he also has been uh, told uh, has been told that they are losing money and running low on product. So again, you see um, Stringer, uh, you know, dealing with some uh, you know some bad news from a standpoint of where they of what this of what this war is costing them as an organization. Uh, what were your thoughts? Sorry, set up. We go to Mar. We go to the co-op and prop and uh, no, we go to Ham. We go back to Hampson. Excuse me. We go back to Hampsonam with Cuddy Carver, and back at Hampsonam, uh, Cuddy is course, He's recruiting uh, some um, hoppers for his gym, some uh, young young people, young people to be in his gym, and Carver assists him. Uh, with that process, uh, with that process, um, he has a brief exchange with uh, Justin and, and, uh, and Spider in terms of a little quick, uh, especially with, with Spider, a little quick boxing lesson. Uh, what were your thoughts? This is part, this is set up, let me be clear. And this is not even set up for this season. This is set up for their where their characters are going. So to dive into that would be giving away too much. Um, so, but this is also, again, another piece in that foundation that is being laid so that, um, so that Cuddy can do what, what he needs to do with these kids. You have, uh, and again, and also you can, you see, you met, you see Carver and his interaction with the, with, with the kids as well. Um, you have, uh, Kima. McNulty, um, you have McNulty, you know, complaining about Teresa DiGasino, says that she basically sees right through him. Um, he, you know, again, a part, a continuation on that self-reflection, uh, on that self-reflection. And, um, you know, he allows himself to be vulnerable with, uh, with Kima during this particular scene. Uh, what were your thoughts? Yeah, you named, you named it. Reflection. Yep. So we get to we get to the co-op and uh, we get to the co-op 
uh, they call in Stringer and Prop Joe let Stringer know that they are going to cut the bark sales out if he cannot convince them to uh, to uh, take a truce, uh, to talk out a truce and, and stop the war. Also, also, we find out that Marlo is, of course, willing to talk to the co-op if he uh, if he can keep his corners. So now Stringer, you know, is in a is basically been in the bark sales that basically been boxed in the corner uh, by the co-op and Prop Joe. Uh, what were your thoughts? Yeah, we're on the downhill part of this whole situation. I want to say set up because I think I'll have I I I will I don't think I can say what I need to say until we get to another. So we see. But this uh, is all about Avon and Stringer's relationship. Yeah. Everything that is involved with them. And of course, you hear Prop Joe during the scene use the epigraph, call it call it a crisis of leadership. Um, mm-hmm. You have um, COVID and Mello discussing uh, Amsterdam and they, uh, discussing Amsterdam. And he says that um, COVID says that he's not going to lock up people uh, in Amsterdam and that he's going to, once he, he no, I mean, COVID at this point knows that that, this, that uh, his experiments on borrowed time and that he's, you know, he's about to give himself up. Basically, at any moment, he's going uh, he's going to confess to the uh, bosses. But he's they're discussing basically how to present Amsterdam once they uh, once COVID makes that decision. So COVID basically says, "Hey, I'm I'm not going to polish it up or anything like that. I'm not going to lock up people. I'm just going to show them, you know, basically show them um, as it is." And Melo is trying to uh, convince him otherwise. Uh, what were your thoughts? Yeah, there's a lot to go into in this one. And so um, let me streamline this. Uh, so um, the explanation is whatever. Again, as, as I've kind of stated, this is not about, um, this is not about like the consequences per se of what is going to happen, but it's about people's reaction to what he thought was a decent idea in his mind or the last best idea he could possibly come up with. And so what you're seeing is that people are genuinely horrified. This is, a, this is, this is genuinely a horrible idea. It's genuinely a horrible idea. Um, and so people, people are horrified at that. So that there's another, another group of reactions are, around that. Like he's now starting to get the reactions from people who he does not directly influence. Um, or he cannot directly influence. So, and so as you can, as you see, it's a whole different thing. The other part of this, and this is what I'm talking about, like with the statement on reform right now, how the reforms are going, his reform is going poorly. And the reason his reform is going poorly, what I think the show is trying to state is that he made it all about him, all about himself. What he could do once people find out what he was willing to do and does that, everything like that. And basically this scene is the, the, the commander is going, we don't care about you. This has nothing to do with you. Forget you. You put us all at risk here. <laughs> so forget that. Forget what you feel like you was going to do and what sort you was going to fall on. Ain't happening that way. I'm done. We go to uh, Marlo and Devon and Chris. So Marlo and Chris wait uh, for Devon to come out of her place. She comes out. Uh, Marlo says her name and then proceeds to shoot her three times, twice in the chest and once in the mouth. Very uh, personal killing. 
And something that Chris says was necessary, as we see, again, Marlo send a message uh, to the Barksdales with this, with this uh, particular murder. Uh, what were your thoughts? Yeah, it's interesting, right? It's, it's, I mean, like the, the scene is whatever. This, this is this is a setup scene, but it's interesting because we talked about how risky it was for Avon to be in that car last week, right? And now we have the head of an organization actually going out and committing the murder. When he's the head of the organization, it's different when you're the soldier working your way up, but when you're the actual head, you're not supposed to take the gun yourself and go and do it. You're supposed to order somebody to do that. So that you're not directly implicated in that. Um, and so I just thought that was interesting. And so I thought about that. And I think the statement that they're trying to make, the show is trying to make with the Marlo character is that um, Marlo doesn't care about your rules. Like that's, that's, the, that's the next thing coming. And that's, yeah, that's the next thing coming. Let me start right there. Yeah, I mean, they're trying, I mean, they're going to, you know, they, they, you know, of course, they're laying out the foundation. They're laying out foundational pieces to the uh, Jamie Hector character. Um, you know, the Marlo Stansfield character, of course, played by Jamie Hector. So, you know, we gotta get to. You know, we you know we know a few things about him, but they, I, you know, it's, it's digging deep now in terms of uh, um, in terms of uh, being it being about him. Um, and I think that you know. To your point, I I I I think you're 100 right. Like Marlo is is not about the rules, and they're, they're going to show you what the next. You know, it's kind of like a generational type thing. We'll show you what the next generation of drug dealers is going to look like uh, past the uh, Barksdale's. Um, you have a Avon Slim Charles Stringer, so. Stringer comes back from the meeting, of course. The uh, comes back from the, uh, the, the the co-ops meeting, where of course they threatened to cut the Barksdales out if they didn't stop the war or be uh, willing to run the truce. So it got to a point to where he's telling Avon, you know, you, you know, you're up here playing soldier, shooting dope without a needle on a power trip, and Avon, he's trying, he's also trying, you know, convince Avon to, you know. To talk truce, he says, "Hey, you didn't took down Marlo a couple of notches. You, you know, took down a couple of notches." Says that, you know, this is the perfect time. And seemingly, for the first time in the entire season, seemingly, someone had Avon's attention. But then, Slim Charles walks in, tells Avon about Devon, and uh, Devon, um, Avon lets. Uh, Avon lets uh, Stringer know that you know that uh, that Marlo killed Devon, and you know you still and so you know you still want to talk truce, and uh, you know that was that. Uh, what were your thoughts? All right, this is what I was waiting for. What became so clear to me in this episode that I had not noticed before was the Barksdale organization right now are two completely separate separate organizations. Right. And the way you know this is Stringer was at the co-op meeting, taking shit from the co-op and all that stuff. Avon nowhere to be seen, right? Doesn't even know about this, doesn't talk to co-op. They can't communicate with him. Everything is going through Stringer. Um, and in this one, the muscle part of it, the, the war part of it, so like that, if that's the business, Stringer's the business side and the war part of it, um, uh, Stringer's not involved in it. He didn't know new muscle was coming. 
and he didn't know, uh, or especially in this situation. Slim Charles comes in, doesn't acknowledge Stringer at all, goes directly to Avon because it's a different side of the bit. So there, the way that you know they're falling is this, this is the perfect example. The show is clearly illustrated in this episode. Not only are they not on the same page, they're running two separate organizations right now. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you see, and we'll, we'll see, you know, we'll see Stringer later on in the episode, you know, with, with the real estate, uh, again, a part that Avon, of course, you know, wants no part of or cares zero, cares nothing about. So, yeah, you, you're absolutely, yeah, you're absolutely right. Stringer, Stringer's dealing with. He the says it in the beginning of that scene that you're talking about. He literally goes, yeah, to he's like, yeah, but we'll once we get this thing taken care of, we'll get back to business. business Avon yes. literally says that. Yeah, yeah. And uh, you also have Stringer have this line to to Avon says. There are games beyond the fucking game. Um, when he's trying to convince Avon, when he's trying to, to uh, when he's trying to convince Avon to you know back out this war, um, did you think that before Slim Charles walked in that Avon was? Did you think Stringer had Avon's ear? Did you, not not so much he was going to. No, not, not even remotely. Not even remotely. I think what the show keep going fire. No, go ahead. Go ahead. Okay. Okay. There was, yeah, there was no, a hesitation. Well, I think the show is. Go ahead, Sarah. Keep going. No, there was a hesitation by Avon when um, when he said that uh, you know now is the time. Now is the perfect time to us uh, talk truth. Before, uh, what's yeah. Uh, what are your thoughts? Yeah. So it is very clear upon this rewatch and reflecting, and then now getting to this point, it's very clear. That once Stringer admitted that he killed D'Angelo, Avon was no longer acting with him anymore. It's slow and it's subtle, but not really, if you're looking for it. Um, I just wasn't really paying attention to that the other times. Now I was really paying attention to it. I was like, oh, they're making it very clear that they don't mess with each other um, in, in the same way that they did. Uh, and so I think, of course, somebody that you're close to when they're talking to you you're going to hear them but from what the what from what i'm getting from the show the show has clearly said it was a definitive and probably way before that to be honest with you i just caught it this time around thinking about the d'angelo situation um admission was that that admission i know what it is in my head before, I've always wondered why Avon didn't react violently towards Stringer. That's what I was focused on before. Right. Now, I realize that his get back at Stringer was to withdraw himself from whatever it is that Stringer was dealing, doing. And by withdrawing himself, he's severing that connection that they had. Now, on the flip side of that, though, Stringer is not giving Avon this advice because he cares about Avon's well-being and the well-being of the Barksdale organization. Stringer's giving Avon this advice because Stringer doesn't want to get kicked out of the yeah. co-op. Yes. He does, he's the head of the co-op. He's one of the heads. He's the lead, you know, he has a lot of power and he doesn't want to relinquish that power. And so everything he's saying to Avon 
is to hold on to that power. So fear's not coming from a good place. So no, hell no. Yeah, no, nah, he, um, you know, I, I want to go back to that for a minute because um, the, because it was, I know it was two episodes ago, but it was, you know, it's interesting that he didn't, that he didn't react violently um, considering that, uh, you know, how close he was to D'Angelo, what have you, his nephew. I think, I think part of Avon thought Stringer was right in terms of killing D'Angelo. I, I think part of it, I think, I think part of it believed that he was, he was correct. But I don't think he, I mean, of course he can't trust him again based on the fact that he went behind his back. But I think, no. Yeah, no. I think, you don't think part of it, you don't think part of it at all? That he thought that Stringer was right in killing D'Angelo? No, I was agreeing with you on the fact that, but he lied to him. The, the, it doesn't matter because he lied. Right, yes. So, right, like if Avon had came to Stringer, like we had seen the scene, Avon comes to, I mean, Stringer comes to Avon, Avon, da, 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 I think this, da, 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 we really need to take care. They debate back and forth for episode two, episode everything, and they both come to the, the mutual conclusion to take him out. And it's like, Stringer, you handle it? Then absolutely, then absolutely, right? But the fact that he made the move behind his back cancels out whatever legitimacy he would have had in making that move. Yeah. Because if it was a really good move, you would have told me. I know that's what I would have said. <laughs> yeah, but no, to your point, yeah, he, he's completely cut Avon, not a cut stringed off as far as you know what he what he seems to be deemed to be important as far as the organization. That of course is, is killing Marlo uh, and, and going to war and taking out Marlo. So, yeah, I mean, Prop Joe, not Prop Joe. Slim Charles is at this point his number two, um, and everything from the Avon perspective is going through Slim Charles on up to uh, on up to Avon. Um, we go to Lamar and Brother Muzon. So Lamar, Brother Muzon comes up with this plan to find out, uh, to find Omar or information about Omar. He sends Lamar into a bar. Uh, Lamar, of course, feels uncomfortable because it's a, it's a gay bar. So um, he, um, Brother Muzon, you know, says that you will be the perfect bait for, uh, you know, going to this bar because of, you know, because of, you know, how insecure you are, uh, not insecure you are, but how uncomfortable you'll be uh, in this bar. So. Muzon, you know, sends Lamar out, sends Lamar on, you know, on a, uh, you know, basically on the hunt, not a hunt for Amar, but on a hunt for Omar, but uh, sends him to the bar uh, to try to execute his plan and, of course, find, find Omar. Uh, what were your thoughts on this plan and what were your thoughts on uh, this exchange between Muzon and Lamar? Wait, wait, oh, wait. So this is Lamar's first time going in? Yeah, this is them discussing. Yeah, no, this is them discussing. Yeah, this okay. The first, yeah, yeah, set up, set up, just set up. Um, so you have uh, Tommy and his wife. He um, they're discussing the campaign, and he, she tells him, uh, he tells her that he's going to have to, uh, you know, he's going to have to, you know, betray Tony Gray uh, from that standpoint. And he says, he, he says, he tells her that he feels. Uh, terrible about um, about you know about the Tony Gray situation. Tells her that Tony tells her that Tony can't win. Uh, tells her that Tony can't win and that he's running on a he's running on education and has, basically has no chance 
uh, right now on that platform. Uh, what were your thoughts on this scene? Um, this is this is just kind of like more illustration of like what I was talking about in terms of like the the BS of it. Like if you watch the flow of the scene, right? Like it's like they're sitting, they're both sitting in bed. He's talking to her, um, and he's talking about blah blah. I feel bad, all this stuff. Um, and she's like, yeah, yeah. She gives him a couple of suggestions, and then she turns her light off and, t- and turns over, and then he turns his light off, and then he turns over as well. Um, so I say that to say, like, it's just like this. It's 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 him play, playing out that I feel bad, guilty, like tone, and like this is Let me play it out on people I'm close to first, and then I can try it out nationally. So this is another example of that to me. We go to uh, Cuddy and uh, the Young Hoppers. They come into his gym. Um, there's about four or five of them. We have Justin, uh, Spider, and a couple, of, about three, and about uh, three others coming to the gym. They start playing with the equipment. Of course, Cuddy, uh, get, Cuddy, you know, just gets frustrated. Um, we'll see how that, how that plays out. What are your thoughts? Yeah, this is another brick. Um, in that in that foundation that that I was talking about, and it's a, it's a, it's a lesson that has to be learned. Um, if you work with kids in any capacity, if you have kids, you know you learn this lesson often. They're going to do things that really really frustrate you, um, and you still have to be the adult, the mature one. As a matter of fact, no, yeah, that you still you always have to be the adult and the mature one in that situation. And the moment you lose your cool is the moment you lose them. Um, particularly if you're not mom, dad, aunt, uncle, grandma, somebody, a family relation, um, you, you, you will lose them in a heartbeat. And depending upon the amount of trauma or where, like, you know, this, depending upon trauma history, let's just put it like that, depending upon trauma history, it's even, it becomes more on the adult to keep their reactions in check and to keep their judgments in check. Um, and so this is a lesson you had to learn. You have to learn this lesson if you've been with kids. You just have to learn it. You have to learn it every single time. You have to learn it. So this is another, that's why I say this is another building block. He learned, he learned that lesson quick. Can't intimidate him, can't yell at him, can't flip out on him. So we go to the detail. Before, uh, you, before you've earned the trust. Before you've before, earned the trust. Yes. You go to the detail. Uh, the bark sales have uh, just their burners. So this is when Freeman and McNulty come up with the idea of prepay of of, um, of bugging the prepaid burners and selling them and, and uh, selling them to uh, selling them to the Barksdales. Uh, what are your thoughts on this particular scene? Shut up. Shut up. So we go to Cuddy with the young kids. Uh, they continue not to listen. Uh, he gets in the face uh, of one of one of the young boys who says who dares him to touch him. Of course, he knows he can't put hands on him, and they walk out of his gym. Um, and they uh, walk out of his gym again. Cutting frustrated kids that he doesn't know, kids that don't know him. Uh, and and by the way, these these are kids you know who uh, you know a lot of them have been on the corner. A lot of them, been, you know, a few of them have been uh, a lot of them have been on the corner in the free zone. Amsterdam, at least I know Spider, who uh, was uh, with under Bodie, worked for Barksdale. So a lot of these kids are off the corner as well, off the corner as well. Um, 
but they're not listening. They, they're not listening to him, and you know they don't know. You know they don't know Cuddy. You know they don't know him whatsoever. So this is the beginning of his process uh, of try, of his process with the with his uh, boxing gym and trying to uh, ingratiate himself to these uh, to these young kids. Uh, what were your thoughts? Yeah, and I mean, like I, I probably jumped a little bit because this is what this is also what I was thinking about. But then I'll just add I add a little, everything I said before applies, and then I'll add this on to there. Um, the so you said, of course, you can't put hands on a kid. Yes, that is embedded in our heads, definitely. But out on the streets, out in those corners, different rules, different rules. So there was no, of course, in. He's, he doesn't do this. He's never done this before. So there's a, there's a very high possibility he would have punched that kid in the face <laughs> and would have had thought twice about it. The, I say that to say the lesson is in not doing it and then analyzing why they had the reaction to you. And that's the building block process. Um, so it's why didn't I hit this kid right in his face. He was talking crazy to me. Anybody talks crazy to me, I punch them in their face. Right. I handle them. So why <laughs> didn't he do that this time? And that's where the growth happens as he analyzes and thinks about that. Uh, so we did um, detail watching Stringer Bell. Uh, they noticed how Stringer's looking stressed out. He's smoking a cigarette outside his print shop. And you hear Lester say, heavier head that wears the crown uh quick scene what are your thoughts on this scene yeah i mean lester named it um but it definitely gives us it gives the viewers the chance to to see the character react to the walls closing in on him um yeah stringer then in the next scene makes a call to the western district police um what were your thoughts? Reluctantly, he makes the call. Um, no, not reluctantly. Not reluctantly. So you want <laughs> not to? Reluctant. Not reluctantly. <laughs> no. Well, he he tried. Il just tried to sell us so that he actually felt bad. But I mean, I mean, like it's it's the it's it is it is not the honorable way to do something. Um. And so I think that's more the wrestle than anything else. But he doesn't have the muscle to do. He doesn't have, he doesn't have the everything. To do. Anyways, uh, so, so much I want to say. But <laughs> so, um, so this is the only way he could think about going about doing it. Yeah. Because I he can't do it any other way. That's what that scene, him smoking and everything is doing and all of that. Um, Yeah, I remember yeah. Really quick, when I first saw yeah. this scene, I was really surprised that he would go that far when I first saw it. Like, yeah. I, was, I was like, I, like yeah. uh, you going to call the cops? Like, what? Like, even, like, I, yeah. yeah. I, I was, I was kind of like, yeah, I was kind of thinking But now think about it. Like, they're, if they're, they're running two separate organizations, right? Yeah. Like, or they're running two separate um, paths in the same organization, right? Like, if each of them, like, let's think of them both as, like, two equally powerful CEOs that are in charge of very specific parts of the business, right? Um, and so uh, 
And so um, you, you have that dynamic that's there. The traditional way in which mobsters, illegal, you know, like this type of, the traditional way, of course, is to, um, is to kill them. But Stringer, Stringer, Avon's in charge of the muscle. So how is Stringer going to be able to pull that off? So he did the thing, he did the thing that could, was available to him. And that's what all that smoking and walking back and forth was outside. Him trying to figure out how to go at Avon. Yeah, yeah. When he was, yeah, when they were showing him smoking the cigarette on on, uh, on camera, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I, it was just something like, I just didn't. I, I I just hadn't seen anything on like it somewhat on television in, reg- in regards to you know, uh, uh, you know, somebody calling the police on the number the number two calling the police on number one. So it was something different. But I know it, I mean, what he did makes you know. Makes perfect sense in terms of he, you know, his back, his back is against the wall. He feels like he's about to lose what he has. Um, it, so to uh, your point, Will, in their world, there is nothing worse that he could have done. In their world, there's nothing worse that he could have done. And it was the first time you saw it. And honestly, I haven't seen. I mean, I haven't. Of course, I haven't watched everything that's out there, but I haven't seen it since. Um. Because there's just a certain way this is handled. You kill him. Avon dies. It's just that simple. That's how you get to be the top. You kill him. That's what. That's how Avon. That's how the bar sales got to be on top. That's how everybody will come. That's the. That's the method. That's the method. That's the accepted method. You know it when you go into that world, um, and all that. So we go to uh, Cuddy just talking with a, a veteran boxing coach who, of course, is been down the road that he's trying to trying to go down in regards to training young boxers coach the older guy gives him some uh good advice uh you know basically says that you know they'll, they'll come around um and he shows him an important part at the end of the scene when he shows him a young kid that clearly isn't trained that's just starting out he was just starting out and he looks at him says what do you see Cuddy says, uh, weak, uh, weakness. I says weak. And then, um, the kid says, no, the, the guy says, no, this is, that kid is the beginning. Uh, so he's trying, he's trying to actually send a message to, uh, to Cuddy about how he's going to have to be patient and recognize it's all not going to happen at one, you know, in the, at, at one time. Um, good, very good scene. Uh, what are your thoughts? No, great. Very good scene. Agree. Everything you're saying, that's exactly what they were trying to get across. You named it. So we go to uh, Kima Bubbles McNulty. Uh, they discuss the next move in regards to the case. They get Bubbles to go undercover, uh, going after Squeak, uh, going after Squeak, who, of course, is um, Bernard's girlfriend. So you see another... Um, you see uh, them, you know, trying to, um, you know, because they're going, they're up against the clock as well in terms of trying to get on uh, to these phones and another way to come at the Barksdale uh, organization. So they see an opening with, with, with Bernard and Squeak, and we see them take, just see them begin to take advantage of that opening. Uh, what are your thoughts on uh, Bubbles uh, working with Kima and McNulty once again? 
Um, this setup. So we go back to the detail with McNulty and they see that Stringer is called the Western District. Uh, quick scene, but what were your thoughts? Shut up. Uh, Cuddy apologizes to Justin um, as some of the, you know, some of the, the guys come back into this gym. Well, he approaches, he goes to the corner, I should say. He goes to the corner and um, apologizes to Justin um, eye to eye. Um, uh, face to eye to eye, face to face. Very important uh, scene for Cuddy moving forward. And as we'll see, you know, this, you know, as we'll see his development, you know, going on at, towards the end of the season as, as, to, as it through season four as well. But a uh, very, very important moment for one, uh, Dennis Wise uh, in this particular, particular scene. Uh, what were your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, like again, like this is building. This is building the foundation. I would make the argument. I think the argument is accurate that everything that they're doing with Dennis Cuddy, they're building for next season. They're building for the future. So this is all laying foundation, 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 foundation. Yeah, it's, very, it's, it's interesting to watch how he deals with issues versus, say, Stringer or uh, Colvin. Like, yeah, he, yeah. Colvin Stringer. We've seen him like have a, a number of situations where I'm talking about Cuddy in regards to where the door has been slammed in his face, but he's able to get around it and even you know and still prosper with how he approaches uh, those failures versus the, the other versus the other two that the other two gentlemen that I just mentioned. Um, and he yeah. talks about that. And I talked about it last week the the show's message and they're saying it through their characters so the show's message and they're, what they're saying right here is because um cuddy is doing it from a place of honesty a place of actual growth he he identified his change and he wants to actively be a part of that change and he wants to do it honestly and he wants to make it about other people that's the that's the blueprint of success that's the blueprint not marlo not Avon, not Stringer, not McNulty. This is the blueprint for success as being laid out by the show. Be honest, be selfless, and identify the change, or the first part is identify the change and then be a part of it, then be honest, then be selfless. We see... uh... So Stringer, both Stringer and... Colvin, sorry. Both Stringer and Colvin identified a change, but they couldn't do it honesty and selflessness. So they're doomed to fail. So we go to uh, the detail with McNulty. Um, We go to back to, we go to Daniels, Perlman, and Phelan. They want him, of course, to sign off on the prepaid, uh, on the affidavit that would, um, the prepaid phones uh, for the Barksdales. Uh, He, you know, they convince him to do so um, as he continues to, you know, continues to uh, flirt with uh, Perlman uh, in front of uh, in front of Daniels. Uh, what are your thoughts on this scene? Say that last part again. Uh, as he continues to, to uh, I'm trying to get where. As he continues to, continue to flirt with uh, Perlman in front of Daniels. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, this is, it's definitely set up. 
Um, and both of the, but both of the, this, this, the earlier scene and this scene are set up two different things, right? It's set up the, how they can get up, a, how they can possibly get up a wire on, on these phones, um, on the burner phones. And it's also setting up um, how they're going to get the judge to do it. McNulty had one way, which burnt that bridge. So now they have to build the bridge again in a different way. And so Perlman's using his enjoyment of her to get what, what she needs. So we go back, we go to Lamar. He still continues to spend time at, at the bar. Uh, he's running to dead ends as people, as when he asks, people don't know or you know, people are not talking to him as far as um, regards to Omar. Uh, and he knocks over a, he knocks over a bottle, says he's going uh, to keep coming back. As you see, um, as you, uh, and then we see, uh, we see Rawls at the end of the scene. We see uh, Rawls in that same bar. Uh, what were your thoughts on the three? Set up. Uh, we go to Colvin Mello McNulty. Um, Colvin uh, tells uh, Colvin Mello discuss Amsterdam. And uh, you hear McNulty, uh, Colvin tells McNulty that he uh, knows that Avon got shot. He says, uh, tell McNulty, you know, see if, uh, I want you to you know, I can see if you confirm that piece of information and check, and check with me to see uh, if it checks out. Uh, McNulty tries to find out who the CI is. And uh, of course, Colvin does not give that away. Of course, we know uh, probably earlier in this scene that it, it was one. Um, of course, we may, we can make the we can make the assumption the connection uh, who it is, but um, we see how Colvin is basically practicing what he preaches to Carver in terms of basically having people that can give him uh, valuable information. Uh, what were your thoughts on this scene? Set up. We see. Uh, Stringer is reading newspaper. He sees that developers are, are some uh, land developers are being given grants, which frustrates him. Then he uh, he uh, then he tells um, Shamrock to get some information over to Levy because he wants to, of course, Stringer wants to find out more about what's going on, about why he's not getting the grants. Uh, big time setup uh, for. Uh, next episode uh, in regards to that. Um, and we see Omar watching uh, get into a truck, uh, get into his truck. So you see Omar scoping out, casing the Barksdale, the Barksdale layer, so to speak, um, the, the Barksdale headquarters. Uh, what are your thoughts? Remember when, when, I mean, I have thoughts on the, the first part, but just remember when, uh, Stringer was giving it, somebody gave Stringer or Avon advice. I can't remember who, who it was, but the advice was given. Are you sure you want to take on um, Marlo and? Uh, Omar, yeah. And Omar at the same time? Charles gave that to Avon. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so, I mean, you know, Omar's doing Omar. <laughs> he out there watching, always. Um, 
patience on that character. Crazy. Uh, but to to the first part of it, um, it is wait. What was the first part? I start, I start thinking about that thing. What was the first part? Well, the first part is uh, of the thing before Avon is before we switch to Avon. No, we're talking about Avon. This was um, Stringer. No, this is this is no Stringer talking about the um, getting grants. No, we weren't talking about Avon. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. So, um, so what I was gonna say about that is just like you know, like you don't even have to. I don't even have to be like, oh, what's coming up? Yeah, yeah. I can't talk. Everything like that. It just even at the time, I was just like, this doesn't. Why are you giving the lawyer papers after the fact? Isn't that something you should do before? You go in the business with somebody. Don't you have your lawyer look at all the stuff before, not yeah. after everything has happened. Yeah. So I functionally, I mean, of course, I understand the scene. I understand the setup. I understand all of that. But, but just in just 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 in looking at it this time again, it just popped in my head again. I mean, it, it's and it's really well done and it's set up for future. But just that just popped in my head again. Like, man, Stringer, it really feels like you should have. Of giving lawyer papers before it really feels like you should have thought about. I wonder. Really no, I, no that, I mean that's a fair point. I wonder if he didn't want to deal with Levy because he thought Levy was you know on Avon's you know side of the street. I wonder if I wonder how much that impacted his decision to try to avoid. But Avon was in prison at that point in time. No, I'm talking about this, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, this is true. Yeah, he was. I, I don't know. I mean, I can't. I'm trying to make it. This, no, nah, this is nothing to fully flesh out. We we know why he's doing it. We know what we know. All the points, everything like that. It's just like, it's just like man, Stringer. It just feels like you should have done that earlier. <laughs> you really should have done that earlier. Yeah. No, without wow, question. I, I, you know, Levy is a guy. Yeah, that's, yeah, why, yeah. that's why you have a Levy to <laughs> to discuss things. Yeah, like that's that. why you have a lawyer. That's absolutely right. That's why you have a lawyer. Or if even if it's not Levy, hire somebody. Right. And then look at the paperwork. Get well, your own lawyer then. I mean, that's another thing too <laughs> in regards to how Stringer deals with things versus a Cuddy. Cuddy, when Cuddy runs into walls, Cuddy will ask for help. Like, yo, I need... Yes. He, he will ask for help from people who can help him. So you, we saw and because he's willing, he's also he's willing to admit he doesn't know the doesn't answer. No, yes. Stringer's yeah. not willing to admit that. No. No, Stringer's not willing to admit that and never has been, for that matter. Like Stringer always has been, no. No. has been, had to be yeah. the smartest in the room and or perceived to be the smartest in the room, even going back to, yeah, we did an episode of season two when he's talking to his boys, trying to use these fancy words to make himself. Exactly. Smart. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. It's very easy to impress when the people you're impressing don't have access to the thing that you're, 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 you're lauding over them, right? So it's, yeah, it's very easy to impress someone like me with a $5 million mansion. I'm very impressed. I'm super impressed. But Bill Gates, some, or, you know, somebody with, you know, $10 billion, eh, $5 million mansion, not as impressive. And um, you're not going to get the same reaction out of them. So I say that to say, Yep, Stringer's been get, getting that feedback early on because he, he was talking to people who did not have the access to the education or the, the things that he was getting. But it was still far below to the people with privilege who've had access to that their entire lives. 
Like, best believe none of those guys, no shade on community college, but none of those guys are going to a community college no. to, to, to learn about business and how to, how to operate business, right? That's, that's stuff that's theoretically taught to you, and then you learn through practice. You learn the real way through practice. And yeah, Stringer was not a part of any of that. Yeah. Um, so now he's dealing with people who actually know what they're doing. And more importantly, know that you don't know what you're doing. Yes. Or you're a baby at this. So we go to uh, Kima Bubbles McNulty. Um, well, in particular, Kima and uh, McNulty, they thought they um, they thought that they saw B.D. Russell. Uh, McNulty tries to catch up. Well, they, uh, Bubbles was in the car with them as well. So they think they saw B.D. Russell. Of course, we saw her picture in the last episode uh, when, when Primo was talking to McNulty. Uh, it turns out that the girl that they caught up to was not B.D. Russell. But again, that is, of course, the show trying to throw you some more bread, bread comes at where McNulty is going and will that'll be major foreshadowing with uh with this particular scene. Um what were your thoughts? Yeah, set up. So we go to Colvin at Comstat. He confesses to Anne Amsterdam to it seemed like it seemed like as he's confessing, and I and this had to be intentional that the only person that to pick up to understand what he what he was trying what he was confessing or what he was doing was Rawls. Um, what were your thoughts on on this scene and the fact that Burrell was like real late to the party as far as co- connecting the dots? Uh, you, how much how intentional do you think that was uh, in showing? In terms it, of it was very <laughs> intentional. Go ahead. But it wasn't a misunderstanding. It's what Colvin was saying was so crazy to them was so out of their comfort zone or their understanding of how the world works, how their lives work, it was hard to process, right? So it's like, yeah, think about a time in your life where somebody gave you a piece of information and it's not that the information was hard to understand, it's you couldn't process it because of what was being said, right? So like a great example is like whatever, you know, or not a great example, but example that, that a lot of people can relate to is whenever they've found out a loved one has died, right? Like we all know people die, but it's hard to process when it's somebody that you know and that you care about and that is, is, is the, the relevant point is it's hard to process because it's something that is close to you and it's something you can't imagine happening, right? And so with with this in this perspective um and the way it relates in this one is that COVID is saying something is giving them information that is digestible these blocks are clear because i moved everybody (laughs) into these three zones that is easily digestible the part that no one can process correctly in that time, or it's, it's challenging for them process immediately, is that he legalized, or he told his police officers not to do it, not to stand by, because it is illegal. And that's what I love about this scene, or maybe it's the scene after this, 
the the other one when they come back. Um, uh, it's illegal. What he's doing is highly illegal. It's illegal. It's illegal. So you're coming into a group of police officers and you're admitting to doing something illegal. That's very hard to process. It's very hard to process. And so I flip it. What does that say about Rawls that he was so easily able to get there? So that's why I was joking with that last part, but that's why. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it just, um, yeah, it, the Rawls. To them, what he's, what he's doing sounds crazy. Yeah, no, no. It, you, I mean, you heard Rawls. You heard Rawls' reaction. It was like, it, Rawls was the quickest to pick up on it, but the rest of the people were like, yeah, they just could not believe that what was coming Because what the, the, guy, the guy who's worked, the mayor's office representative, I forget his name, his character's name. Oh, I forget his name. I never knew his, his real name, and I forget the character's name, but the black guy in there, um, he's like, wait, the only way we can hold a corner is if you have police officers there twenty four seven. So how are you doing? How is this an enforcement thing? Um, and yeah, but COVID has. I told him to ignore it. <laughs> no, that's not an answer. That's not an answer. No, no, absolutely not. <laughs> that is not an answer. Um, so yeah, 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 yeah. You have all right. Yeah. So to and Rawls, Rawls is us being like, this is crazy. You're you're crazy. You legalize drugs, and you're going to tear tear us all down with you. So Burrell and uh, so Burrell says in the scene. Of course, you know you you know tells him to get in his office once he's uh, you know once this is all once everybody figured out has figured out what uh, what Coleman um, has done. Um, we go to Kima Squeak and Bubbles. Of course. Bubbles infiltrates uh, Squeak, starts talking to her. That was Bernard's girlfriend. Starts talking to her, talking to her, and um, and gives and sells her uh, a, a a prepaid burner phone. Uh, what were your thoughts on this scene? This isn't the full scene, right? Uh, it's not the full scene, no. Okay, set up. We're gonna roll Ross, Colbert, and Burrell. Uh, Burrell, of course, is taking full responsibility for the entire operation. He gives um, he gives Burrell a set of a, a set of letters from the community. Um, he semi he he threatens Burrell as well in terms of um, uh, he threatens to uh, you know threatens to uh, threatens to tell on you know, tell them uh, threatens Burrell. With uh, information against him, against him as well, um, and says, you know, Burrell says, "Are you threatening me? Uh, are you threatening me?" And Coleman says, uh, I, "I guess I am, sir." And then, um, yeah, Coleman sees the, you know, see Coleman. You have the Burrell sees the uh, the letters from the community from some of the community members. Uh, yeah, Rawls, of course, saying, "Yeah, you know." Calling it a brilliant idea, but the one that, of course, will end all their careers. Uh, so Rawls was kind of even—I don't think he was sarcastic. I think Rawls was was kind of impressed uh, with it. What was your thoughts? Yeah, I don't—I don't know. No, I—I I, I don't know if I can go down that that alley with you. Um. Yeah, 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 yeah. That that so. Um, I think everybody's well aware that it's going to be a cluster, and then it's just 
how is it? What's, what, what is it? What is, what is it going to look like? How many heads are going to roll like that? So I, I think, I think, uh, I think Rawls is being facetious. And he also tells them about the, uh, the Baltimore Sun reporter. So we go to, so a couple of just funny notices that I love about the scene real quick. Um, it's just like, is that, that part right there is just like, he's like, Oh, and by the way, the paper is no, and you got seven days. <laughs> like, yo, what? what? You yeah. drop all this on us right now, and you tell me I got seven days? Oh, I'm surprised they didn't pull out the guns and just start shooting him. <laughs> right? firing squad. This is beyond fireable. Somebody put this man out of his misery for that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Of course, that he just made me laugh. He just put on a uh, administrative leave. Um, so, yeah, yeah, sure. yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Morel says, Morel says yeah. begin taking some of your vacation days immediately uh, before he walks out the office. So we go to um, we go to Mayor Royce and uh, we go to let me see Freeman. Oh yeah, we go to uh, Freeman, Bernard, Squeak, and Bubbles. Freeman uh, convinces Bernard to do the deal. He's able to pick some uh, cell numbers out, out out of the cloud. This this scene was way advanced from my understanding of like of, of tech, some of the tech uh, stuff that they were they were trying to do. Well, Bernard was impressed with Freeman's ability to, to pick some of the numbers out. Of course, but Freeman has the help of, of Caroline as she's undercover with him as well. Um, so Freeman, so Freeman, um, sells Bernard on, uh, you know, on the, on, on the fact that he should do business with him. Bernard, you know, you know, wants receipts, um, Bernard, of course, wants, uh, Bernard wants receipts and, uh, Freeman, well, no, we'll, we'll get, we'll wait to get to that part. Bernard is, of course, is sold on Freeman on, um, on what Freeman can do. And says, "Hey, we could do business. Uh, what are your thoughts?" Uh, I was going to ask you if you understood the scene, because that's what that's the thing that pot. So this all set up is fine. So it's, it, I mean, it's, I mean, we we know where this is going. Um, but I, I just was like, I've watched this a bunch of times, and I'm sitting there trying hard and concentrating this time really i was like i don't understand what they're saying i don't understand this plan and not because it's they're not being clear it's that it's so complicated and so i just really appreciated the show taking the time out to like really just like break it down because i think i finally got it to a point but i was just like oh this is complicated Um, no wonder they were having such a hard time with this this is complicated uh, yeah, so that, I mean, that, I that, that plan, I was mean, just like, I don't understand this. I don't understand. Like, this yeah, is so complicated. The overall, plan, the overall plan was to have them uh, sell, was to sell the prepaid burners that were already bugged to them. It was just the, but I didn't understand the execute, how they were going to just execute it. Like, how are they going to execute? Yeah, that's the nitty gritty of it. Yeah, no, I get yeah, that. They want to pre-bug the phone. Yeah. Everybody got, that's what we all landed on all this time but the interest the action like anybody can say that that's what i love about the wire anybody can say all these other shows and i'll just be general right now all these other shows um we'll just leave it at that 
we just got bugged and burnt. And then all of a sudden, the burners would be bugged and everything would be going ahead. This show takes the time to explain it. Explain the process to let you know this is there, there's a reason. It's not good cops, bad cops, da, da, da. It's skill set. And that's what Bunny was also talking about in that 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 lesson that he was given Carver. Um, it's about the skill of the person and what skills you give them. We've only taught y'all, going back to that scene, we've only taught y'all how to bust heads. Y'all don't know how to work a beat. Get in good with the community so that you have people who want to tell you what's going on. Will they want to go up in front of a judge? No, but they'll at least call you and tell you the right places to look. Anyway, so so that's part of the lesson. So like in this in this in this situation, um, that's that's again like the reiteration of the, of that lesson. Um, yeah. So we go. So we go back to Cuddy and the kids. Uh, they come back to the gym. Uh, as Cuddy is training another young man. So we see the payoff from Cuddy humbling himself and apologizing to the young hopper uh, from, you know, from earlier on as that, as that kid, that kid comes back uh, to the gym. So yes, you named it. And that's, that is the payoff. But what I appreciated about how they played the scene was it wasn't like he came in and was like, Cuddy, I realized all along you were the dad I never had. Right. Um, and they hugged, you know, they hugged it out. Like, no, it was very, very like, yeah, he's back. And that's enough. Was he going to come in and start, you know, being like, oh, this, 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 no. And that doesn't happen. That never happened. That's not how trust is built. You don't that you don't just come in and be like, oh, I trust everything that everything. So I really appreciate it about how they did that. And then also the undercurrent of all of this. And I do have just because this is happening so much, I do have to say it. Um, the mover behind this is Carver. The reason this kid is coming back is Carver is sending him back or supporting and sending him back. He's the he's the man behind the scenes on this one, on the on the uh, Cuddy's connection with the kids. Yes. Um, yeah, we go to uh, no. Before we go to the scene, like so, Colvin says something to Carver that we saw throughout the course of this episode in regards to soldiering versus policing, and he says they're two different things. And basically, you know, was telling Carver, all you guys know is soldiering right now versus uh, versus not too much soldiering and not enough uh, policing. So that that that's an important part to remember too in, in regards to uh, how Cuddy is dealing with the with the kid, with, you know, with the kids. He was, you know, the first thing we saw him getting smart with the kids, and and, and you know, he basically calls out this kid for getting beat up. Uh, saying this is the reason why I can see why you're in here. That was policing. I mean, that was soldiering. You know, he's going at him, getting you know, kid getting in his face and what have you. And then we see the policing aspect of it when he apologizes to the kid, when he shows some vulnerability to to uh, to the young man, to the young man, and and the, and the young men uh, who um, who wanted you know who are uh, his you know who are boxing who were going to box for him. So you saw the difference to is that carved that um, that COVID mentioned, and you saw how Cuddy exercised those uh, 
uh, versus uh, some uh, some of our other characters um, who are trying to reform. Um, we go to uh, Mayor Royce and Burrell. Of course, Burrell uh, tells Mayor Royce about uh, Amsterdam, and of course, you know, Royce jumps on top of Burrell about it, and you know, basically sends Burrell away, and until Burrell gives him the letters, he gives him tells him about the fourteen percent uh, drop in crime, and he also gives them the letters from the community. And then you see at the end of the scene, Royce, Royce's opinion on the situation kind of start to shift when he sees that 14% uh, drop. Uh, what were your thoughts? His, his guy says, don't even think it, Royce. That, that's, how, that's how that ends. But um, the initial part of that is Royce also tells, um, uh, 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 not Royce, um, yeah, yeah, Mayor Royce tells um, Burrell you walk pointless. You know how it works. Yes. So essentially what he's saying is if this goes bad, you're getting blamed. And, and the other guys being like in the back, like, nah, you commissioner. Ha! Like, you're not commissioner. So I say that to say is this is the, the wife also point out systemically how this all happens in our daily lives, where we work on a TV show, everything like that. Right. This is what they mean by the itch rolls downhill. Right. So it's like, like the reason why coach, the reason why Coven's plan and Hamsterdam was such a bad idea was not because of the way in which he saw things and wanted to work, work things out. The reason why it's a bad idea is because he's not the person to make that call ever, ever. And so he makes that call, but it impacts the people directly above him impacts the people directly above him. It impacts the people directly above him. I don't know why this is in my mind because it's kind of a spoiler, but I think I need to say it in this in this scenario that there's a scene that's coming up in a later episode where they go to the state house. And my only reason for bringing that up is this goes all the way up to the president. Like you cannot sanction drugs without federal, without the specific like all the risk i mean i you know we could outline it'll never happen never ever ever could happen especially at that point in time what they were seeing in in the country or whatever and so it this is a decision like that is something that has to start with it at the top and then come all the way down you can't start it from where he's from you can't start it and so this is another like it's the reverse side of that political pressure or i mean it's political pressure but it's the other side We've been seeing it as uh, the mayor pressures the lieutenant to get the crime. I mean, the commissioner get the crime down and the commissioner um, gets on his peoples and then his peoples get on the street. And da, da, da. That's how this policing and that's how the soldiering has happened from that point. And they've made a very, very clear stats and all like all the different reasons why that's going down. Well, there's this other thing that happened where if I'm sitting at the top, 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 these people way under me, if they make a stupid decision, that comes all the way back on me. So if I'm at the top, I'm going to be super protective. I'm going to be super reactionary to anything that could potentially harm my career. And as you can see, the, the directives roll downhill, but the super big, huge story, they always want the tippy top. They always want the tippy top first. 
who's the biggest, like in our realm of sports, college pro sports, where all that stuff was going around about, I mean, it's always going around, but whenever it gets brought out to light of who's doing what dirt, whatever the dirt is, it's they, the, the coach from the highest profile national program is who they want. That's who they want. Damn all the division two and three and, and high school. Then nobody cares about that. We want the highest profile athlete. We want the highest profile coach. Same difference here. Um, and so everybody is now going to run, go, go into to damage control mode. Just some people make some very nice choices. Freeman, Bernard, and Squeaky, and Squeak. Um, Freeman explains to Bernard uh, what he does and um, you know what he does and how he's gonna uh, how he can help them out, how they can do business. Um, Bernard says, "I I can't play without receipts." And uh, Freeman says, "You know, I appreciate a man with caution." And uh, asked Caroline, "You know, can we make this happy?" And then. Can we make this happen? I should say, and then of course, she, you know, she's playing the, the role of undercover, and, and you know, says they can, you know, they can, they end up, can, they can do it, but she says it, you know, reluctantly, as as if she doesn't, you know, doesn't want to do it. Um, but again, she's playing a part as the uh, undercover along with uh, Freeman. Uh, just interesting to see Freeman undercover. Um, uh, he was, I thought, uh, Clark Peters was was brilliant in these undercover in these role in these particular scenes where he plays the undercover uh, cop. Um, cop, he really sold it well uh, for uh, uh, Bernard and Squeak. Uh, what were your thoughts on this scene? Uh, set up. And we go to the final scene where we had go to Lamar in the bar. Uh, Lamar, uh, you know. Continues to ask about Omar. Tells the bartender he's not going nowhere. Uh, you know he's not going. He's not going nowhere. He's going to continue to come back. We see Dante here. Omar's name used. Uh, Dante, of course, uh, follows Lamar outside the bar, um, and then uh, you know basically confronts him about asking about Omar. Then you see Brother Muzon. Uh, Brother Muzon uh, knock uh, Dante. Knock Dante out, uh, out cold with you know, hits him aside, you know, hits him aside his head, knocks him out cold. Um, and we see the episode end. Uh, what are your thoughts on uh, the last scene? Um, that like I, I, I really liked how they showed the progression of why, um why um homeboy was baked and that's exactly what he was he was baked the entire time that was the only that was the only purpose that he served um and uh you know we're, we're with omar and and brother we we are watching two predators in their environment um uh and their different tacks at getting information yeah, um, very it's interesting how he uses Lamar. Now we've seen Lamar as you know his assistant per se, um, and we know that he that the show has kind of made him to be uh, inept at times. You know, kind of kind of inept. So the assignment that Muzon gives him is a very simple assignment. Uh, 
just go in the bar and ask questions and ask about Omar. That's it. Um, So I think that it was important for me and for the audience to, if you're going to say, if you're going to speak on how inept this dude is, you can't give him this complicated assignment or this in terms of your, you trying to find Omar. It had, had, I, I was sold on the fact that, yeah, this dude is incompetent, but he could at least, he could do this. He could do that. He could, he could be bait. So, um, you know, I was sold on it from uh, from that standpoint. When there might have been some criticism, saying, "Wait, hold on, how could this dude, how could this dude possibly work with with a brother Muzon who is as organized and and forward thinking as a you know a character can be and you know intelligent and what have you?" But so they sold that well to me uh, with this particular scene. Not giving Omar, not Omar, but not giving Lamar, you know, a uh, major. You know, a lot to uh, a lot of major assignments, something that you know, something basic. So that wrapped up the episode. Um, we saw, of course, the themes of the walls are closing in. The walls are closing in on a lot of our characters, whether it be Stringer Bell, the Barksdale organization, uh, Bunny Colvin, and even you know, even the major crimes unit in terms of. Trying to find some, trying to find some more information on uh, Springer and, and, and Avon, with the pressure that's 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 being applied as well. So you saw a number of cases, uh, a number of situations in this episode where the walls were closing in on 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 a number of our, our characters over the course of this episode. Who was your um, MVP? All right, I'm gonna do something a little bit different today. So my MVP is going to be the show The Wire. Now, I know that sounds like a cop-out. Let me explain. So, um, I was, I started the episode, I was watching the episode, and then the episode was over. I was like, it literally feels like I've just been watching this for 15 minutes. But I watched the entire episode. And so, like, literally, like, I had all the commentary I said to myself, and then, like, at the end, I was just like, that was so, like, literally out, out loud to myself, I'm like, that was so good. Um, and then that's why I was like, wait, I watched that entire episode. <laughs> like I was so locked in and just engrossed in that. And that hasn't happened to me in forever. I can't remember the last time where literally, like I, of course, they've been engaging TV. I've been involved. We've talked about it many, many times, but I haven't had that feeling where like literally I played, I pushed the, for the start and then it was over. That's how locked in that. It, it just ain't something that I've seen a bunch of times that that it was I was genuinely shocked by how into this this episode I was. I genuinely was. Um so uh that's why I'm naming the entire show as my MVP. I could not have had a better time watching something. It was it fantastic. Yeah, these last couple episodes, I would say eight through ten have been fast pace in terms of fast moving as far as um they're not spending a lot of time on scenes and i'm gonna wait i'm gonna pause you right there really quickly because i that's not what i'm saying so if that's your if that's your perception perfect I, that's not what i'm saying okay I'm go saying, ahead. No, no 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 i'm not saying you're saying that. i'm just saying i'm saying that i'm this is what i noticed over the last couple of episodes that, that they've been kind of fast paced uh especially for the wire and you know they're allowed to do that um, because we're seeing the benefits of some of a number of, of payoffs 
that have been, you know, some of seasons in the making. So it's pretty cool to kind of watch, you know, yeah. these episodes move quicker uh, as the seasons go along. Um, I'm going to agree with you on that, and I'm going to add more on top of that. And that, like, this is what I meant when we were talking about it at first. I, I think they're becoming better storytellers because if it was just sparse, then that would intrigue me. It's because there's so much going on that I can lock in so completely and thoroughly. That's what gets my mind going. Um, and so, um, like, like for example, the plan with the South, I literally, I was just thinking about that so much, so much, and just trying to unfurl all of that. There just aren't shows that do that. There just isn't thing that has that type of mental thing in there, because especially now, my attention span, I've got five minutes for a show. If you don't impress me within the first five minutes, gone. I'm on to the next thing. I don't have the time or the patience to to engage with with something that I'm unsure about or, or something that is not giving me the intellectual stimulation that I have. And so that's what I mean, like it's just we're saying the same thing. That's why I just want to add more. After all these years to still be able to do that, just amazing. Just amazing. Um yeah, I, I think I had MVP. I had a uh, split between uh, McNulty and Freeman for coming up with that idea about the prepaid. Yep. Uh, about the prepaid self. Take McNulty out of there. I don't care what McNulty said. I'm thinking the same thing. No, you won't. Shut up. No. Uh-uh. Uh-uh. Take that's Freeman. No, that's Freeman. That's Freeman. No. no, you don't get to just say, I was thinking the same thing and get credit for the plan. Hell no. No, no. <laughs> yeah, I was thinking the same thing. Like, no, really, really, he really. He didn't do anything this plan. <laughs> Nothing. Zero. <laughs> uh, uh, right. Oh, big <laughs> <don't you? laughs> He really was trying to take credit. He really was trying to take credit for that. <laughs> I'm thinking the same thing. Yeah, you gotta shut up. How do you go, go away? Go get away from me. <laughs> go. Far away from me. Go to the other side of the room with Nelson thinking uh, the same thing. Oh, man. <laughs> you don't get out my <laughs> Yeah. I was thinking this. Go ahead. Go ahead. I was thinking the same thing. What did you say it? You say it. You put yourself out on the line then. How about that? And you talk about. Oh, man. You tell the whole plan. Go. You got it. Since, <laughs> you, since you had it, go ahead. <laughs> Nah, go ahead. I mean, cause you can I see the frustration, but you can see kind of like they didn't, they didn't, no, I don't they, they didn't nope. flush it out. They didn't flush it out as far as seeing uh, Lester, Lester's like response or anything like that. But you can only imagine what was going on in Freeman's head. He's he's invested out countless hours towards you know looking at these computers and looking at you know Bernard and trying you know and all you know, going through all that. And then McNulty's like, yeah, I, we would. We had we had the same, we were on the same page. Like what? Like what? Like, what, what, what are we talking about here? We were on the same page. Exactly. <laughs> so, um, but no, you Freeman. These are your MVPs, Freeman yeah, and McNulty. Freeman, yeah, I, 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 yeah, I, I'll, I'll, yeah, I'll put it to Freeman. This was this. No, no, no. It's yours. It's your <laughs> MVP. Yeah. Uh, he annoyed me so much when he said that. <laughs> that I was like, ah, no. So you don't get the anyway. Um, uh, the Chardin Award I gave to uh, Colvin for the uh, the Carver speech. Oh, I, 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 yeah, 
thought he was good in that. He really was. Yeah. No, I thought he was. Yeah. Good. He was convincing. Yeah. You could, you know, I mean, Carver. I, I think Carver was like. I think the reason why Carver just didn't respond because I think Carver knew it was knew it was true. Yeah. Yeah. I think Carver knew. I That's think Carver, That's really good. I think Carver knew that was um, true. Who was your Who was your Chardine? Uh, I was gonna give my Chardine. I give my Chardine to um to uh oh man Spider is Spider right Spider and um Cuddy. Right, Spider right. You mean Justin? You mean Justin? The, yeah. The kid, he apologized. He apologized. Okay. Yeah, 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 that's why. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Yep, yep. I'm not even gonna say why I'm getting them confused. <laughs> if I had, it would be for it off. Yeah. But yeah, so Justin and Cuddy. Right. The scene. So you're talking about the scene where uh, Cuddy apologized. That scene. Mm. I'm talking about all of it. All the scene. Okay. All of them. All of them. Could, yeah. Because you can't have the pop. The, like I'm talking about the argument. Like also, that whole, all their scenes too. and then to the reconciliation. Yeah, mm-hmm. okay. yeah, they both did their thing. Now I see that as an arc. I can't separate those scenes out. No, 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 no. That's no. an arc that they had together. Yeah. Um, no, they they were uh, they had some. They, no, they, their scenes were definitely some uh, some key scenes in, in, in regards, especially in regards to Cuddy's story. Uh, you know, Cuddy. We have two episodes left for the season. Two episodes. Cuddy is definitely in the running for season MVP. I mean, you put that out there. I mean, he, that this character has grown on me more so even after this watch than I than I remember in previous rewatches. Real, think about what's coming up. Think about what's coming up. I say he's in the running. I think Cuddy has, I've, I've put it out there. I think he's the most, I think he's the best developed character on this show by the time we get to the end. But, Real, come on now. We got some monsters coming up these yeah, next no, no, few no, episodes. We do next episode in particular. You got some monsters. I uh, just just think about that. Just think. It. I mean, you can hold on to it. I'm just cautioning you. We have some monsters coming up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so uh, that's going to wrap up the show. Uh, wrap up the sh- uh, wrap up this episode of the the Wire Remix season three episode ten. Of course, uh, next episode um, will be uh, you will be in for a treat to say the least, and it will be uh, we'll flesh out that episode. We'll have a lot of fun with that episode because it is a a uh, landmark episode, iconic episode that is coming up. Um, episode eleven. Should we start with the ending first next next week? I don't know how long I cannot like it's been tortured this entire season, not being able to talk about it. I just don't know if I'm going to make it through the episode, <laughs> <laughs> make it through <laughs> to get there. And so, I, anyway, um, yeah, 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 yeah. It's one of the most. I mean, I mean, it's a top like 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 it's a top five television history moment. No, top whatever. It's just yeah, this is. Yeah. No, it doesn't yeah. get bigger than this. It, it doesn't is, get bigger than this. It is. No, it we, we will have a lot. And of fun. it's not. It's not only because of what happens. It's because of the story that's been told up yeah, until this point yeah, in time yeah. that up, makes no, it so no, valuable. Yeah, it ties ties everything up. It, it ties a lot of things up um, that they've been putting in place 
uh, for seasons, not just. Yeah, seasons. you think about how you're going to construct the show next week. As you can see, it's no, I it's gonna be, no, it's gonna be. It's, been, no, it's it's going. It's been. It's been. It's, it's going to be. Yeah, it's going to be. It's going to be a monster. It's gonna be a monster show um, because. We, you know, because it's so good, it's just so good, it's just yeah. so well executed. It's yeah, so good, not to flush out, but we will uh see you then. Uh, as always, thanks to Rob Sat for joining the program. All right, sir, be safe, be healthy. All right, no question about it. All right, all right, that's gonna wrap it up for this latest edition of the Real Deal podcast. Uh, as always, you can subscribe to my YouTube channel www.youtube.com slash C slash Real Deal Podcast. I will see you next time. Have a great rest of your evening. I'm out.